Since the beginning of man's time on earth, we have yearned to understand our connection to the sun. Find out the hidden truths surrounding this connection in this episode of New Earth Teachings. A lot of the information that I'm going to be sharing in this episode is not something that you really find within common science books. It's not found in mainstream science. A lot of this information comes from research through the Hindu Vedic scientific system, even through some information with Nikola Tesla, as well as my own deep intuitive meditative information that is coming through. What's very important is that you're just keeping an open mind about the information that is going to be shared because it is certainly unconventional and it is a lot different than what we have been told regarding the nature of the sun. What is the true nature of the sun? Well, modern science will tell you that it's a ball of fire or that it's hot plasma. It's a hot plasmatic sphere existing in the center of our star system and does contain radiation. Yes, radiation it certainly does contain, but it is not a hot ball of fire. It is not a hot ball of plasma. The sun in actuality does not have its own heat and it does not have its own light. So again, that is where modern science and this information diverges. When we're looking at the sun itself, the sun is a highly powerful dynamic construct. It is a living well of radioactive energy. So for us to even see the sun, we would need to see it in different spectrums, such as X-ray. Its radiation therefore makes it visible. But if you were able to go up to the sun and actually withstand its radiation. There would be nothing in regards to indicating heat. There would be nothing in regards to indicating light. It is a living well of radiation. And this radiation, these rays, bombard all of the planets within our star system. And as these rays bombard the planets in our star system, another scientific theory is what's known as the Goldilocks zone where that a planet needs to be in an appropriate position to receive all the appropriate heat and light from the sun in order for it to thrive with life. That is incorrect. So again, positioning does play a part, but again, it is not the sun itself that is generating the heat or the light. It is the effects of its rays upon the atmospheres of the planets. 
we have what's known as the Van Allen radiation belts. And we will know that the Van Allen radiation belts contain highly charged energetic particles. And through this radiation belt or radiation belts, they are actually a type of oscillator or resonator that works together in bringing in the radiation effect of the sun's rays upon the atmosphere or the ether of the atmosphere that creates a scientific effect known as sonoluminescence. Now, modern science is still investigating the nature of sonoluminescence. One example actually comes from a creature on our planet known as the mantis shrimp. And the mantis shrimp, when it attacks, when it strikes, its strike is so incredibly powerful that people can actually see light coming out of its strike when it attacks. So I thought it was appropriate for me to bring a punching bag into this segment. Again, as I was talking about relating to the mantis shrimp, relating to the immense power of its own striking attack. It's also going back to similar recognition of Kung Fu movies, Kung Fu cartoons, where the grandmaster throws a gigantic punch and you actually see a burst of light coming out of his punch. Well, if I was to give this one a good whack, give this bag, give this bag a good whack. Imagine if we took that intense strike, multiplied it by dozens or even hundreds of times, while well, odds are this bag would be completely destroyed, but we would also see that incredible burst of sonoluminescence because it's the intensity of vibrations per second that actually create that sound vibrational hit against an object, for example, that therefore creates that incredible burst of light through that intense vibrational effect. And what this is, is a example of the power of sonoluminescence, that it is vibrations per second. Nikola Tesla knew this. He knew about vibrations per second. Tesla had an intended undertaking in allowing the production of light by the vibration of the atmosphere, in essence, sonoluminescence. To quote Tesla, I have come to the conclusion that the sunlight is produced by 500 trillion vibrations of the atmosphere per second. In order to manufacture the same kind of light, it will be necessary to produce an equal number of vibrations by machinery. Therefore, Tesla himself knew that the sun was not at all a ball of fire like modern science had claimed. It is a powerful construct, a living well of radiation that emits untold levels of vibrational energy affecting our atmosphere through the process of sonoluminescence that gives our planet the heat and light needed for life to thrive on Earth. So it is through sound that again is triggering these immense oscillations of vibrations per second that are so powerful that you can actually see a burst of light coming out from the mantis shrimp as it strikes. Well, this is very similar to what the sun is doing to the Earth. Our atmosphere contains over 37.5 million billion gallons of water vapor. This constitutes enough precipitation equaling one inch of rain to cover the entire Earth's surface. 
The water vapor is the catalyst for sonoluminescence to take effect. This also goes back to the book of Genesis in the Bible. God came upon the waters, and there was the word, the sound. Let there be light. Therefore, even the Bible speaks of the effect of sonoluminescence. Through sound comes vibration, and through vibration upon the waters comes light and heat. So again, the radiation rays of the sun are again penetrating the Earth's atmosphere via the radiation belts, acting as an oscillator, acting as a resonator, and therefore reflecting this heat and light that is drawn from sonoluminescence. And that sonoluminescence energy is carried and reflected through the ether of the atmosphere and reflected through oxygen. Oxygen actually has an atomic effect that takes place through sonoluminescence, where it functions as a reflector and a carrier. And all of that heat is coming upon the planet. So if we're in the valleys, for example, where there is a great deal of oxygen content, a lot of that heat can reflect through all of that oxygen content. But as you move up into higher elevations, such as mountains, where you see, of course, ice-capped mountains, it gets colder and colder the higher in elevation that you go. So as you start to move up through the atmosphere, where there is less and less oxygen, the heat becomes a lot less. And then it moves up into the very edge of the atmosphere, where there is no oxygen whatsoever, and the dissipation of that heat-light effect of sonoluminescence fades away, dissolves. So this is really the entire nature of the sun. The sun is producing a sonoluminescence effect through the nature of its radioactive rays. So, again, this is why it's a little challenging to share this information, because there's a lot about it that is not really written in conventional science. But many of the ancient gurus that followed Vedic science knew that this was the nature of the sun. That the sun is not just some fiery ball sitting in our sky. That is one of the greatest lies there is. And again, that will certainly be a controversial topic, but nonetheless, this is how the sun actually works. And it works in that way because really, if we looked at it as a hot, fiery, plasmatic ball in the heavens, that everything around our planet would really be in that state of warmth as well. Because if our planet is so warm, well, then the surrounding space must be very warm as well, too. Well, that's not correct. In fact, when you go beyond our atmosphere, you will notice that the cold that exists is so intense that not even the coldest sub-zero temperatures of our planet would define how cold space is beyond the threshold of our own atmosphere. If you were able to take any of our conventional shuttles and actually have them move past the atmosphere, you would see that space shuttle freeze within a matter of seconds. It would not survive. This is why space shuttles are orbiting in the thermosphere of the atmosphere, one of the outer layers, because that's really as far as they're going to go before they risk end up before they end up being frozen completely. An astronaut certainly could not leave a space shuttle beyond the atmosphere. They would be dead within seconds. 
where the intensity of cold is so strong that it would be like trying to break apart steel. The ice is so powerful. The cold is so unbelievably strong. Well, Brad, what about satellites? There have been a lot of talk about satellites that have left Earth's orbit, that have left the atmosphere and are traveling other planets. Is it true that those satellites could be out there? Well, there's one of two possibilities. Number one, those satellites have not actually left Earth's atmosphere. They're actually just within Earth's atmosphere. Number two, they are able to leave Earth's atmosphere, but they are constructed in different forms that are not being publicly revealed. Because in order for you to actually create something like that, that could survive beyond Earth's atmosphere, you'd have to work with magnetic fields. You'd have to work with almost creating a type of artificial atmosphere with that technology that would be able to sustain itself in that way. So those would be two possibilities right there. Either there are no satellites that have gone beyond Earth's orbit, or there are satellites that have gone beyond Earth's orbit, but the way to how they have been developed has been kept from the public. So whenever we look at the planets in our night sky, if we see Jupiter in the night sky, we see Venus in the night sky, we see Mars, Saturn in the night sky, Mercury in the night sky, and we see that luminescence about them. Well, that is, of course, the sunlight, but it is the effect of sonoluminescence that is impacting the atmospheres of those planets as well, too. So everything in regards to the light and the heat actually comes from the effect of the sun, but each planet has its own internal systems. Each planet has its own internal climate systems, has its own seasonal systems, has everything in regards to its own life systems within its own make. So again, that also is somewhat controversial, thinking that the sun is what provides all of that for us. The sun is not the giver of life, but it is the maintainer. It is the sustainer of life. It is what keeps life going in that way. Every single planet has its own sufficient level of internal systems to manage itself. Now, the important thing to realize as well, too, is that our planet functions in many different dimensions. And of course, the sun, as we see it, also exists in many different dimensions as well, too. There is much more of a higher spiritual and etheric quality to the sun. This is why the sun has been worshipped so greatly with ancient civilizations of the past. It can be referred to as the soul or the spirit of our own star system. It is the nature to where the pure etheric intelligence, the infinite intelligence, the God intelligence of our star system exists. It's the center point, it's the nexus, it's the pineal gland of the star system altogether. And this is where we want to form a relationship with the sun because the sun is very much alive. The sun is indeed a being, just as the earth and all other planets and celestial forms orbiting those planets are also beings, living constructs. And so one way to truly honor the sun is to go outside 
and receive the rays that are, of course, being fed upon the earth, creating that sonoluminescence effect, and therefore we are receiving the natural heat and light from the earth's atmosphere via the sun. So we're showing our love, we're showing our appreciation, we're getting our vitamin D from the sun as well too. The sun is also very well known for helping to resolve illnesses, physical illnesses, right? We're often told to stay out of the sun if we're taking medication or if we're taking any other forms of prescription drugs. There's often that warning, don't go out into the sun, stay confined. Well, if we look beyond the idea of those pharmaceutical drugs and you're working much more on a natural level with yourself in harmony, you want to go and get as much sunlight as possible. You want to open your windows every single day. You notice how invigorated you feel when you're out in the sun. The sun is a replenisher of that energy. It's freeing up a lot of debris, a lot of toxicity within the body. It is the greatest cleanser we could ever ask for. So it's very important that you go out and that you get some sun. Some people will say, well, you know what, I'm allergic to the sun, I think. I'm getting burnt all the time, and if I stay out in the sun for too long, I feel I may just get sunburnt, and this is in no way going to be good for me. Well, it's not that the sun is causing you to be sunburnt. A lot of it is the toxicity, the pollutants, the debris within your own body. So if we have a lot of processed foods, if we have a lot of pharmaceutical drugs, we have a lot of toxins, toxicities within the body, this is actually what's creating the effect of that burn. It's not the sun that's burning you, it's the reactional effect to the light rays that are coming upon the planet through sonoluminescence that is causing certain forms of reactions based upon the toxicity that exists within you. So it's your skin reacting, it's your body reacting to it, because of those toxicities and pollutants within the body. So we want to detoxify. We want to work with our diet. We want to work with our exercise. We want to work with meditation. We want to work in illuminating ourselves a great deal more, detoxifying ourselves completely. As you start to do that a lot more, go out into the sun and you'll notice some changes taking place. Do not squander your relationship with the sun. It's very important that we have that relationship. It's very important that we go outside and that we get replenished. Now, when we look at sun gazing, this is one of the most profound and prolific forms of exercises that you can do to, re to reap the great benefits of the sun. As I talked about, that the sun is like the pineal gland of the center of our star system. So when you wake up close to the time of sunrise, or you're making yourself available during sunset, where the, where the sonoluminescent effect of the sun is at a dim state, you are now just gazing upon the sun. Because again, you are looking at the proximity of the sun in the sky to where it's creating this sonoluminescent effect through the Van Allen radiation belt, through the atmosphere, through our oxygen and directly into us. You are looking at the sun and just take some deep breaths in, deep breaths out, like I talked about in episode one, in the second season of New Earth Teachings, where you're working with heart rate variability, right? Five seconds in, six seconds out. And you're just looking at the sun in that dim state, at sunrise, at sunset, 
where it's dim, the light is not strong, and you just keep your gaze upon it. As you make this into a habit, doing this each and every single day, you will be amazed at the incredible effects that take place within your body over time. Your eyesight can improve, your memory can improve, the ability to sleep better improves, your organs become rejuvenated, you feel a great more amount of vital energy flowing through your veins when you're doing this. It completely revitalizes you from the inside out. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to, again, have that beautiful companionship with the sun. This is what the ancients knew. The ancients knew to celebrate the sun because it is the great purifier. It is the great rejuvenator. It is the pure etheric intelligence. It is that pineal gland that exists throughout the center of our star system. It's like looking at the atom. Through the atom we have the proton and we have the electrons. Well, we're seeing the sun as the proton, and we're seeing the electrons as the surrounding planets. Now, the proton will never ever emit some type of horrible energy that would destroy the electrons within the atom. This is where people get afraid of the sun, thinking, well, Brad, what happens one day what if there's an enormous solar flare that is emitted by the sun and it hits our planet and it can wipe out a totality of life? We have to remember that our planet is several billions of years old. And throughout that time, it has never led to the degree of it ever being destroyed or completely eliminated from the face of the existence of the star system since that time. What would make you think that the Earth would suddenly be completely annihilated through the nature of a solar flare? Especially now that you understand the nature of the sun truthfully, that it has no fire and it has no light of its own. It has radiation. Now it certainly has spouts of that radiation that will come out at certain times, but these are all within a natural, you could say, higher degree of calculation, a much more higher etherical uh, effect that is taking place that is actually regenerating our planet on a much greater level. So whenever we've seen these spouts of ejection pertaining to the idea of its radiation, because water does exist within the sun, the sun does have water, and that would serve together as some type of component to working together in regards to its radiation and to its construct altogether. So we do see spouts of water, we do see plumes of this radiation that can come out, and we can see that through certain forms of X-ray cameras. And we see these plumes happening, but as I have been able to discover, when we actually have these upon the Earth, these are extremely beneficial for the Earth. It is not going to lead to the Earth being destroyed, it is not going to lead to the Earth having some sort of gigantic cataclysm. The cataclysms, even if it came down to that, are based upon internal affairs that we are personally going through, individually and collectively as a people. As I've mentioned, the sun is a great purifier. 
The sun is a great rejuvenator. It's a cleaner. So when these situations occur, where we're getting a great deal more of the radiation from the sun, that again is impacting our own magnetic field, our own radiation belts, our own atmosphere, this is all part of a cleansing effect that is taking place. The earth is being cleansed by its sustainer, its father, the sun. As the stars are also suns, would their radiation also be coming from some form of sonal luminescence upon our atmosphere? This is absolutely correct. Through the distant stars, each one visible in our night sky emits its radiation from a great distance, and a minute portion of their radiation creates a sonoluminescent effect. This means that if we were to travel beyond the confines of our atmosphere and look at space with our naked eyes, we would see nothing but darkness all around. Unless you have a technology to see an X-ray vision, you would not be able to see the stars from space. Our atmosphere in its etheric nature allows us to gaze up at the night sky and see our beautiful galactic neighborhood emitting its rays upon our planet, creating the effects of pin-sized sonoluminescent light as we look up towards the heaven, admiring this beauty. This goes to show just how powerful the stars are. From dozens to hundreds to thousands of light years away, their rays, even though minute, can still reach the atmosphere of our world. This is the stars' relationship to our Earth. I'm Brad Johnson, and thank you very much for watching the second episode of the second season of New Earth Teachings, and I will speak to you again in the next episode.